Generations Church, welcome. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 11 today. You just heard Pastor Paul read to us out of the liturgy that whole chapter. We're going to pick up right at the tail end of it, and we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 12 today. Just to give you a starting point, here it is. There's a prophet's heart. Samuel pours out his heart to God's people at the end of his life, hoping they will honor God in the years to come. This is right here is the transition from Samuel the prophet to Saul the king. And as, as Samuel hands off this leadership of the community of the people of God, he gives them this one last heartfelt message. And so we'll look at that today, starting in 1 Samuel 11. We'll pick up near the end of verse 11. It says this, And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch, and they struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men, that we may put them to death. So as this war kind of that they were afraid of, and the battles that they had been losing to the Philistines, as they finally win a battle, and Saul leads them through this victory, they kind of cry out and thump their chest like, who is it that doubted that this king wasn't going to be the best thing for us? And so they looked at Samuel. And now remember, Samuel's been their prophet, their leader, their man of God. And they look at him and says, who, who's the one saying this? And I don't know if they're aiming at Samuel or not, but Samuel has been reminding them that this wasn't God's plan for you. But now that they've had this little military victory, this little win over a little battle, and they finally beat the people who just beat them, not, you know, just minutes prior, Right? Then they say, see, this whole king thing is perfect. This is exactly what we wanted. It's a good place for us to press in and ask, where is it that we are, are celebrating or thinking that, oh, because we had this little victory, because this one little thing went right, oh, this is exactly where God would have us. Because what we're about to see from Samuel is really a challenge, a way of just asking them, hey, listen, I want you to compare and contrast what God had for you to where you're headed, so that you know. Verse 13 says this, But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Now sadly, this may be the highlight of Saul's life. This might be his most godly moment. He says, Today the Lord has worked salvation here in Israel. Saul glorifies God. Saul gives the credit to God for the victory in their battle. When the people all around them want to credit Saul, Saul knows that it was God that gave them salvation that day, God that gave them the victory. Verse 14, it says, Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. There's this call to focus on God, right? Samuel says, come, let us go and renew the kingdom. Let us go in and renew our commitment to God. Let us renew who we are as a people. And then there's this next phase of life for them with a king. It says, Israel made Saul king before the Lord, and then they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. Their transition is to what they're going to call their new normal. And I think for us, there's a a way of seeing this or a way of, of viewing this that relates to us right now. And so today, this Sunday, is our final, we hope, final forever, but to, it's final for now, 
our, our last online service only. Now, we're gonna stay being online. We've been online for years. We've live streamed for, for years. But we're gonna open up our outdoor services again starting next Sunday. And you've already heard this, you, you've already been told that in, earlier in the service. And so we're gonna move back outdoors. Our hopes are now that, especially with the weather getting colder, that we'll be able to move indoors soon, right? As soon as it's safe, we'll work our way indoors. We'll be social distance, we'll go back to maybe what it would look like in June. We'll do that, and then eventually, we'll be able to start having more and more people, whether it's the vaccines or the virus goes away, however it works out. And we know on the other side of that, there will be a new normal, right? There will be a new way that we live after this year plus whatever it turns out to be of coronavirus. So let me put this on the, on the screen for you. If COVID was gone, what would we learn from the last year? Would the church go back to Sunday service equals church and lose what we learned? And what I mean by that is going into coronavirus, here's where not only our church, but many churches, probably most if not all churches in America, here's where they struggled. They had this mindset that I show up on Sundays, I go to church, right? I, going to church meant I show up for a Sunday service. Now, maybe I put a couple dollars in the plate and giving is great, that's, that's good. Maybe I serve somewhere, serving is great, that's good. Maybe I sing some songs, maybe I listen to the pastor, maybe I, maybe I don't, right? But we considered that going to church. Well, the church is a people group. The church is a community of people. You don't go to a people, right? You go to a sports game or you go to a movie, but church, church is a people. And as we went into coronavirus, here's what we learned. We need people, right? If we can't be in here together, we need people. And so church is so much bigger than what we do on Sundays. And so churches that were able to figure that out or churches that were already talking that way, we've talked that way for a long time, church is who we are, right? When we gather, whether it be in a living room for a community group or our youth as they gather, whatever it might be, that, that all of that is church, and that we've always emphasized getting together in smaller groups and doing different things, not just Sundays. Church that didn't struggled with that. Churches that, that only had Sundays and couldn't make that pivot to digital Sundays, many of them died and closed their doors. Others struggled heavily. Where we embraced it and said, okay, how can we be online and how can we do what we can to meet together and our small group attendance skyrocketed, our other things, prayer online, all kinds of things went up. So now, let's say that tomorrow or next week or next month or whatever it might be, let's say just coronavirus disappears. Let's say the pandemic is over. We all go, yay, the pandemic is over, and we're so grateful, and I don't make light of that. I want it to be over. But let's say that happens tomorrow. What will happen for us as a church? What will happen to us as a community of believers? Will we drift back into old habits? Will we go back to, hey, listen, all I gotta do is show up on Sundays and I've done my duty for church for the week? Or will we remain knowing that church is what we do collectively together outside of Sundays? That we worship together on Sundays? Yes, that's great. But church is so much bigger. We will be arriving in a new normal. We will have whatever is new. When we can get back in the building, maybe it'll be every other row like we did in the early summer. Maybe it'll be socially distanced more. Maybe it'll be multiple services or multiple venues. We had this in our cafe. As we do that, we'll have new normals, right? That will become normal. In the same way, Israel is moving into a season that is a new normal. Instead of being led by the prophets and priests, they're moving into what is going to become normal for them. What is new, a new normal, they'll be led by a king, a man right now named Saul. 
So as we do that, here's Samuel the prophet's final kind of words to the people as he makes Saul king. 1 Samuel 12, verse 1, and Samuel said to all Israel, behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me, and I have made a king over you. And now behold, the, king's walk, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Samuel says this, listen, Israel, you have what you've asked for. Here it is, you have a king, right? Verse three, here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed, whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I defrauded, or whom have I oppressed, or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. So Samuel obviously says, listen, tell me if I've done anything wrong to you. Let me know, have I, have I let you down in some way? And I want you to hear this not as an exit interview, like I'm on my way out and I want to learn from my mistakes or we want to learn as we have new leaders. It's not an exit interview, it's this. It's a reality check of Samuel reminding them, okay, now let's look as I transition out and Saul transitions in, let's look together what was it like to have me as a leader, right? Now, what had I done? It'd be like if I sat with the church and said, okay, listen, I'm, I'm retiring, I'm on my way out, let's kind of, let's snapshot, what did it look like? Did I, did I do anything wrong for you? Okay, and they say no. Well, how'd it go? And what Samuel's leading up to is, listen, you had a leader in which you have no beef with, right? You have a leader who didn't defraud you. You had a leader who didn't oppress you. You're moving into a king who will oppress you. You're moving into what God didn't want you to have because of that. So let's look at what do we have and what will we have. Verse 4, he says, They said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hands. Nope, you, you were good, right? Verse 5, And he said to them, The Lord is my witness against you and has anointed his witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. So they're saying, no, no, I am a witness, God is witness, and Saul, the one you've anointed, he is your witness. I didn't do anything to you like that. Like, I left here without oppressing anyone. Remember, he says, you wanted a king. Remember, what you, you know, what God wanted for you was an honest prophet. Right? Remember, as we opened up the book, Eli was not a good prophet. He was not a good priest. He was not a good leader. And so what God wanted for them was a godly prophet. So he raises up Samuel. What the people want is a king. So they're getting what they want. They get a king. What they're not going to get is what God wanted for them, which is Samuel. So his point is you've rejected what God wanted for you and demanded a king instead. Verse 6. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Here's a reminder, and Samuel kind of goes back to the foundations of Israel. And so here's what happened when God delivered you, right? When you come out of slavery. And so he says, he says, the Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. So remember when you were slaves. Remember when you lived in Egypt under a king, a man named Pharaoh, right? Under a Pharaoh, which Pharaoh means king, right? You lived there. And he enslaved you. And so you cried out to God, God, deliver us. God, deliver us. We don't want to be slaves here. And then God delivered you to, and using Moses and Aaron. Moses a prophet, Aaron a priest, right? And so he says, listen, I, God did that. Then you get out into the wilderness and you complain again. And then you get into the land. We want a land. We want a home. We want to build. So God gives them that. And they get there. And again, God had wanted to give them a land. God had wanted to deliver them. But they complain. They always want something God has not taken them towards. And so 
God gives them all that they need, and then they say, okay, we want a king now. Right now, prophets, their job was to speak God's word with God's authority to God's people. Typically, a prophet would be calling God's people to live more like God had commanded them to. Sometimes, maybe telling something in the future, but that's not the, the majority of it, is mostly calling God's people towards holiness. Sometimes giving them direction, like God would say, listen, we're going to go over here, and he would do that. But prophets were people who spoke God's word with God's authority primarily to God's people. And then the priests were the leaders who helped people respond to what God had spoken to them. They helped them worship, and they helped them sacrifice. They, they helped them respond to what God was doing in them. There's a, a, a very cool dynamic that I see here right now with Pastor Paul and myself, that we are very different in our personalities and our gift, giftedness and whatever. And, and I kind of was thinking about this when I was writing, that I'm, I am more likely to be that guy who says, let's just call out the sin in the room. Let's just talk about where we're off track with God, that God wants us to, to be here and, and let's do that. And, and sometimes we just, it leaves us with, with work to do in our lives, work to do in our spiritual lives, work to do in our church. And then I've noticed about Pastor Paul, and I've known him for many years, but as, as I get to work with him, he's that one, he's more priestly. He will come alongside and really help us work out our worship and help us, and I don't mean our worship singing, I mean our worship of God and, and help us kind of navigate as we do this, very relational, very caring, very shepherding. And as we do this, I see that there's this dynamic and that God has used throughout history. I'm not comparing myself to Moses or him to Aaron, but you get my point right there. God will sometimes have somebody that will drive a point and like, here's what God is calling us towards and another one that will kind of help get them there. That was God's design. And so Samuel, as he tells the people, he says, listen, this is who God had raised up when you were enslaved in Egypt. Verse seven, he says, now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. So I want to put this note on the, on the screen for you. God's design for his people. God lived among the people, spoke to them, provided worship for them, and gave them the freedom to follow him. But they demanded a king instead. So I want you to just remember that moment with God up on the mountain, on Mount Sinai with Moses, and he's up there on the mountain. He says, listen, my heart is to be down among the people. I'm going to have you build me a tabernacle, and I'm going to, I'm going to tabernacle. I'm going to dwell among the people. And we talked about this just a couple weeks ago, that the tabernacle would be in the middle, and then the tribes kind of had their camps going out from that. God's desire was to be in the midst with the people, right? That was his desire, and, and he was to provide for them and lead them and guide them. But instead of having God live among them, they moved him out, right? Instead of God lead them directly through someone that he would call to speak to them or someone help cultivate their worship and their life and their practice, instead, they look around to the rest of the nations. They say, we want a king. We want like that nation and that nation. We want a king. So they demand a king. See, what they had was they had the freedom that God had given them to follow him, right? They had that freedom of, uh, listen, here's what God is saying to us collectively, and here's where we're to go, and, and they had the freedom to either respond or not. And we know the story. We know many of them did not. What they're going to lose in this moment is freedom, where God had given freedom for them to be obedient, for them to go where God was calling them. Now they're going to have a king who will dictate what they do, and their good kings will lead them in good ways, and their bad kings will lead them astray. 
And after this, this successive kingdom afterwards, from David and Solomon, there will be good kings, and then Rehoboam and Jeroboam after Solomon, they will be bad kings and mislead the people, and they will have this thing back and forth. But now they will be captive to that leader where God had given them freedom and leadership and the ability to just to follow him and, and go freely, worship God. Now they're going to be attached, enslaved, really, to a king. One of the things that God said earlier, right through Samuel, just a week or so ago, you, he will reign over you. He will tell you where you go. We're in this place right now as a nation, and, and it, we have the freedoms to choose kind of, well, do we follow God or do we not, right? As a church, we have the choice, okay, do, do we do what God has said and submit to authority and, and kind of suck it up and, and take on some of the rules of the coronavirus, or do we just go crazy, right? Or what, we have those freedoms, and we saw, really, in Southern California, we saw a lot of that over the holidays, that a lot of people, against all advice, traveled, and so our numbers skyrocketed, and man, so many families here, so many people I know got the virus, and many of them got it a lot, and one of them died, not from our church, but from a, a, a local church, died over, the, over, the, over December, and so we, we just said, okay, listen, we don't want to abuse our freedoms. We want to shut down our online services for a few weeks. We want to help the numbers come down, and of course, the numbers have come down now, and so we're able to move back into that, but sometimes we abuse our freedoms, but at least we have them, right? We have the choice to repent and turn to God. We have the choice to follow God. And yeah, sometimes we choose not to, but we have that. In our nation right now, we're talking about a lot of things about where kind of a lot of control would come in. And I see us kind of shifting towards, hey, give us a king, right? Well, let's just have, you know, healthcare for everybody. And, and I was just thinking about that earlier and talking to a student and just said, listen, I, I pay extra for good health care because we need it, right? Because my wife isn't super healthy, and so we pay for that. If, if the government was to take over, and what they say is free health care obviously isn't, they're going to tax us, and they're going to give us what they have, but then we get what they want to give us. Whatever everybody gets, everybody gets. Right now, I have a little bit of control on that. I can choose to spend extra money to go that direction. Colleges, all those things we're talking about, right? We have freedoms right now, and this isn't a political thing. I don't I'm not talking about who you voted for or what ideology, but it's, it is about an ideology. Do we value the freedoms God has given us to follow him, or do we want to continue to give that away and just have somebody tell us, just, hey, just go here, right? Just do this. And that's where our nation, that's one of the conversations our nation is actually wrestling with. We see that 3,000 years ago as they hand off control of not only their kingdom, their nation, and their spiritual lives to a king not even a prophet or a priest, but to a king. Verse 8 says this, When Jacob went into Egypt, the Egyptians oppressed him. Then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. So that was the Exodus. We just talked about that. He's saying, listen, when the family, Jacob, Israel, when they went into Egypt, there was a king, Pharaoh. He was there. Everything was fine. But then the Pharaoh changed. And then it wasn't fine. And then he enslaved them. And the next thing you know, there's 1.5 million Jews enslaved in Egypt, and they're crying out to God to let them be free, to let them go. And so God does that. He takes them out and he liberates them. Verse 9, but they forgot their Lord. He sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines, into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. When they forgot what God had done for them way back here, when they forgot and, and they became disobedient, yes, God would lift his hand off them and the other nations would come in and attack them and they'd have war. 
when they were obedient, they would have peace. And, and Samuel now is looking backward and saying, remember when you, the last king that was over you enslaved you, and then God let you go. And then when you're obedient, you're free, and God cares for you. When you're not, other kings, other nations come in and attack you. He said, but why do you want a king? He keeps asking, he keeps thinking. Verse 10, and they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and we have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbaal and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety. So they would struggle. Someone would come in and oppress them and reign over them. And they would cry out to God and then God would send a leader and it was displaced, displaced the other people and give them back their peace, give them back their freedom. But then they would do it again, and God would do it again. They'd cry out, and God would rescue them, and then they would disobey, and they'd be oppressed, and this, this vicious cycle kept happening. And Samuel says, listen, this is what you've done, and when they were repented, God would return. When not, they would be oppressed. Verse 12, he says, and then when you saw that Nahash, the king of Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, now Samuel's he's like, now we're up to our current history, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Listen to that. You said, no, we want a king over us when God was your king already. Samuel says, this is the problem right here. First, you don't want God to lead you. And then second, you want some other human to lead you. You don't want to listen to God. You just, you think, you say you want to listen to another person, but wait till that person comes in and you're not going to want to listen to them either. If you won't listen to God about what's right, what makes you think you're going to listen to a king? Modern day translation, if you won't listen to what God says is right, why would you ever listen to what a president or a political party says is right? right? How would we then place our trust in that? If we won't follow God, we won't follow humans either. And that's what Samuel says. He says, all the way through, all the way up to me. Verse 13, and now behold, the king whom you've chosen, for whom you have asked, Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Now, as a reminder from last week, if you missed last week's message, here was kind of one of the major points. The people choose Saul, and what we find out about Saul, it's right here in 1 Samuel 9. There was a man of Benjamin, a man of wealth. He had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, upward, upward he was taller than any of the other people. Saul was chosen because he came from a rich family. He was tall and good-looking. How could that possibly go wrong? He's got to be the best leader. He's rich, tall, and good-looking. Here we are, and that's why they chose him. We want a good-looking king so that we look good to the nations around us. We want to look like the nations around us. We want a king over us when God was their king. And so they didn't look for somebody godly. They didn't look for somebody who would be a good king. They just looked for human traits, human things. And again, we joke. How could it possibly go wrong? Well, of course it goes wrong, right? Verse 14, he says, If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. So this is their choice. And, and honestly, it's ours. Now, we live in this setting where we have people in control. They're moving into this new normal where a king will be over them. And now it's not just if you obey God, then God will bless you, God will lead you, and God will pro, pro, uh, 
give you peace and protect you from the nations around you. Now it's not only if you are obedient, but now your king also has to be obedient. So not just you, not just the people, but now the government also has to be on board. Again, how could this ever go wrong, right? And yet look at us. Here we are. We live in a circumstance like that. Now it's not just us, but now we've got a government who helps control some of these things. And so now the struggle becomes harder. How do we obey God? Now we've got these political parties that kind of feed out information. We're not ever sure kind of what's true is there's competing ideas. And, and here we are, and we're asking the questions like, where, where am I supposed to go right now and, and be the best follower of Jesus I can be? How can I be the best pastor? How can you be the best you know, doctor or lawyer or plumber or whatever? How do I do this and honor Jesus? And there's so many things that are driving that Sometimes at the end of the day, the answer is just, I don't know. I'm not sure. And now it's not just, can we figure out what's the best right next step for us as a church? But now our entire nation is also subjected to everything else that kind of drives where we go as a nation. And if we just back up and we see Samuel and Saul, we have this opportunity. We still do as followers of Jesus. We still do. We we have this opportunity to follow God. Right? Will we follow God? That's the first question. The second question we can't necessarily control. Will everyone else? I don't know. Will this political party or that political party or this you know, president or that candidate or whatever or this governor or this senator, will they? I don't know. Our job now is limited to how will we follow God in the next step for the next thing, the next challenge that we work through. How will we be obedient to God? So I want to give you some notes. I want to put these on the screen. So we have a new start, right? We have a new president and a new beginning, regardless of who we voted for. We can move forward and honor God, or we can fall back into the same old sinful ways. And so I say this, we have a new start. We have a new president. It doesn't matter if you voted for him or didn't vote for him. Here we are, right? Now the choice is ours. Do we move forward in godly ways, or do we fall back into the same old sinful patterns as with the last president and the last president and the president before that and the president before that. Do we turn and take this as a new normal? Do we take this new beginning and do we repent and return to God? Or do we fall back into the same old traps? We've talked about this. The last different elections, that this party will say this because this circumstance. And then four years later, the exact opposite will be, or the same thing will be said by the opposite party. And it just goes back and forth. And, and at some point, we all have to recognize like, hey, it's time for a new start. But the new start begins with us now because we can't control everything else. It's will we do the next right thing? Will we follow God in the next decision? Will, will we do the next holy, godly, honorable thing for us because we can't control everything else anymore? So the second note is this. COVID actually offers us a reboot, right? When all is done with the virus, we'll have another clean start. We'll, will we fall back into lukewarm Sunday-only church or will we embrace the fact that church is bigger? Church, will we embrace church in new ways? Will we remind ourselves, hey, we really missed coming together? Or when we couldn't come together and we did that rooted group with this family over here and this family over here, that really got us through coronavirus or through the early days or whatever. Will we remember or will we fall back into, hey, I just kind of checked the box, went to church on Sunday? You see, we have these opportunities throughout our lives to take advantage of that restart, a new normal, a reboot, if you will. And we have that now with a new president. We can be brand new Christians, followers of Jesus, 
Right now, in this moment, we have that chance every day, but right now, we're at a pivot point for our nation. And it doesn't matter if we didn't vote for this president. It doesn't matter if we voted for another one or this one or the next one. It doesn't matter. We have the chance to be Christ-like right now. We can be followers of Jesus and take the next step towards Jesus right now. And as COVID comes to an end, Lord, help us soon, right? That if hopefully 2021 <clears throat> will be the year that we'll see coronavirus become a thing of our past. Hopefully that's true. And then we'll be able to kind of come back to a new normal, but we'll be able to embrace church in new ways. The community of people that we call our church, not just the Sunday gatherings, though I think we'll value those more for a while because we will have missed them. But as history ever kind of reminds us, we have a short, short memory. And oftentimes we forget and we drift back into those old habits. Now is the time to make those new ones. Verse 16, Samuel says, Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, and asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So here's what happens. Samuel's like, listen, so that you know that what I'm saying lines up with what God wants for us. Yes, you've agreed. Yes, you've said, yeah, we did that. And yes, we do it over and over and over again. But so you know, I'm going to call down, it's supposed to be a summer, summer harvesting day, right? It's supposed to be nice out. I'm calling down thunder and rain. And he does and God causes thunder and rain. It says the people fear God and Samuel, right? Now, good news is, I'm not going to do that. But we don't need that. We don't need to like, oh, is this really what God wants? We have scripture. We have people 3,000 years ago doing the same things we're doing today and God calling them out and leaders calling us to repentance. And so we have scripture. We don't need thunder and rain. We've got all the stories of all the people who came before us that God has preserved and superintended and protected for us so that we can look. But remember, we have the freedom to go pursue what it is that God is calling us towards. But oftentimes, we just want somebody else to tell us. And then when somebody else tells us what to do, we just agree with what we agree with, and then we just block out what we don't. Right? We have all of Scripture, and yet most of Christianity in America is too lazy to read it. Most of Christianity in America just doesn't value the fact that God has spoken time and time again for thousands of years. And so they just wait and they show up and like, well, whatever the pastor says, well, and, unless I disagree with it. And if I disagree with it, I'm just going to chalk it off as he's wrong. But we don't look to see what God is saying. When will we embrace the freedoms we still have about our faith? We have the, the freedom to hear from God. We have the, the freedom to study what God has done throughout history. We have the freedom to be the church God has called us to be, no matter what happens in the world around us. No matter if we stay online or we come back together. No matter if this president stays or another one comes. It doesn't matter. No matter if the virus stays or the virus doesn't, we have the freedom to follow Jesus today. Verse 19, it says, and all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord their God, your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. They're like, we got all caught up in the human side of this whole leadership thing. Pray for us, right? We need to hear that today. Listen, we get caught up in all the human stuff. We need to turn and pray. We need to seek God uniquely and differently. Verse 20, and Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid 
You have done all this evil. I just think that line is amazing. Don't be afraid, but yeah, you really messed up right now, right? You did all this evil. That's a funny sentence, but he's basically saying you completely blew it, but God still loves you. You see, that's the message of the gospel. It's not that God created us and we've all done really well. It's that God created us and we all rebelled against God and that we've inherited sin for thousands and thousands of years and then we're born and we jump in and add to the sin in the world and then all of a sudden we find ourselves in places and we're like, oh, it's all broken over here and where, where's God and we've been running the other direction but the gospel is that God entered into that story. No matter how many people rebel against God, God said, I still love them. No matter how far people run, God says, I still love them. And so Jesus became flesh. God became flesh. And he lived a sinless life. He lived the life that you and I are supposed to live, and we don't. And then he died a death, a penalty, a sacrifice for us. And that his death would cover our sin and redeem us and reconcile us to a God that we've been running away from all our lives. And that in him, we not only have forgiveness, but we have restoration. That in the resurrection, we have this, this power to live a new life. We're back to that freedom. Like, I have the freedom to follow Jesus now. Because of Jesus, I have the, the ability, the Holy Spirit in me to follow Jesus. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't just forgiveness in heaven. It's, I have the ability to follow Jesus today because of what Jesus has done. It's because we blew it, but God is gracious. It's because we've run away but God still loves us. It's the gospel. It's the message of the gospel that yes, he forgives our sin, and yes, we will inherit eternity if we are in Christ, but it's for today. It's a, I have the freedom to be a follower of Jesus today. I have the power inside me, the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to live and do the things that God calls us to. You do too. In Christ, you have the power of the Spirit within you, that you can live for Jesus today, no, we can't control the world around us, and, and we're not in charge of all that. But we do now have the freedom to follow Jesus. See, under the king of this world, under, under evil, under sin, under Satan, before we were Christians, we didn't have the freedom to follow Jesus. It's because of him, because of him making us alive, because of giving us his spirit, now we have that freedom. We begin to slip back over to this side. Now we have the freedom to start following Jesus again. Yeah, maybe a lot of other people make a lot of other decisions for a lot of other aspects of our life, but our spirit is in the control of Christ now. And you can begin to, I can begin to, we can begin to be faithful and obedient to Jesus today. No matter what happens around us, we can be faithful today. Verse 20, it says this, Then Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that you cannot that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. He says, yep, you've sinned. You've done all this evil. But then he says, do not turn to empty things that cannot profit or deliver. Don't turn to all those things that have been letting you down all your life. Don't turn to the drugs. Don't turn to the alcohol. Don't turn to the politics. Don't turn to the pain. Don't turn back to the things that can't help you. Turn to Jesus. Allow him to take over. Let me put this on the screen for you. Out of Ecclesiastes, I love this verse. It says, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon, this will be two kings later. Saul, David, Solomon, right? He will become one of the most rich men ever to live. He will have all kinds of human things. All the things are like, I wish I had that. I wish I drove that car. I wish I, you know, whatever. He has it. And after having it all, he says, listen, here's what I figured out. 
It's all vanity. It's like chasing the wind. You can keep chasing for more and more and more of this world, but it'll never satisfy you. Samuel says it this way, do not turn to empty things that cannot profit or deliver. Don't turn to the political system to solve your problem. It can't deliver. Don't turn to the addictions. Don't turn to the pain. Don't turn to the money. Don't turn to the whatever. It will never deliver what Jesus can deliver to you. Begin to follow Jesus. It's a gospel message of turning to Jesus, repenting of the world, and beginning to live for Jesus. Verse 22 For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Listen to this. God will do it because it glorifies God to do it. God will fix the church. God will heal his people. God will do it because it glorifies God to do it. Listen, he says, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Here's the message today. When Jesus was on this earth in that three years of ministry where we get that that snapshot of his teaching, he looks at Peter and he says, listen, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, the true church, not the Sunday gathering, not the building, not the address, not the name, not the nonprofit status, against the people who follow Jesus. Hell will not prevail over the church. But it doesn't have to It doesn't necessarily mean that we make it. It doesn't mean the church down the street is going to make it. It just means that Jesus says, listen, my church is going to succeed. And then he turns to us and just says, listen, you have an opportunity. I have an opportunity. We have the opportunity to be a part of that church. We We have an opportunity to follow Jesus and be a part of the people that he promises are his forever. Because hell will not prevail against Jesus. This world will not prevail against Jesus. Death has not prevailed over Jesus. Jesus endured and lives today. Church, we need to hear that today. We need to chase, ch- quit chasing things that cannot profit us or deliver us. We need to stop chasing those empty things, and we need to turn and relentlessly chase after Jesus. Let us do that today. Will you pray with me? Jesus, as we gather, we are your people We gather today in your name. We we sing those songs of worship to you, to God our Father, to you our Savior, to the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We worship you. It is you who has promised that the church will prevail because it is you who empowers the church. Forgive us as we have muddied it with every other possible thing. Help us to lay all those things aside, all those things that are empty, and can't help us, let us lay all those things aside, Jesus, and let us turn and run towards you. Like the story of the prodigal son, let us turn and let us run, and what we'll see is we'll see you running right back towards us. Because you welcome us, you love us, you desire us. That God our Father would hold us and love us. Let us turn to you today. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.